Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. And I am going to talk about Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. We've got Rule 5 draft news, we've got draft lottery news, but I do have to begin with some non Rocky stuff. I'm not going to dive into all of the details of the Shohei Otani deal, first of all, because it's very new as of my recording of this. This news has just come across the wire, as they say, uh, about an hour ago. As of my, uh, my recording of this, 10 years, $700 million to the Dodgers. I read a lot about how there's uh, deferments and several other things where year by year it's not going to look like that much. I've, I've already seen lots of people with really strong and passionate uh, opinions and takes on this being indicative of the broken system of baseball. And by the way, baseball's economics are absolutely broken and and all kinds of things, right? And I just wanted to say my main sort of takeaway and then talk about it from a Rockies perspective. But my main takeaway is that sometimes things in life are just so outside of what's normal, right? They are unique in unto themselves. There is no other thing to compare Shohei Otani to. He is arguably the most valuable player in the history of Major League Baseball. And we really don't know what that's worth. That's before you get into his value as a quote, marketable commodity, right? A guy who's going to sell jerseys and bobbleheads and Lord knows what else in the LA market on a team that's good, right? There is just no way to put this really into context (laughs) because there's no context for it. It's, uh, to me, Actually, as strange as it sounds, a perfectly reasonable number for a guy who's worth what he's worth. And as I'm always trying to remind people, even myself sometimes, the you know, it's generally better for baseball when players make more. Most of these owners have just gobs and gobs of money, right? And so I'm almost always going to say congratulations to a guy for making a ton of cash. Is it always the best for competitiveness that it seems inevitable that players like Otani will end up on the Dodgers and players like Judge and Stanton will end up on the Yankees? Like that there remains for all these years only a handful of places that can really afford to dole out these kinds of contracts. And so there's only a handful of places where the super duper stars of the game will go. And yes, I think that continues to be a problem. But I don't think that you necessarily solve that problem by artificially deflating the value of those superstar players, right? You've got to figure out a way that they can make all that money playing in other markets. It's one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of revenue sharing and things like that. But before we take this into an entire conversation about the collective bargaining agreement, 
let's actually get to it on the field a little bit here. That's where I wanted to focus on this is talk about it from a Rockies perspective, because after all, this is not a Dodgers podcast. It's not a CBA podcast, at least not right now. <laughs> During the lockout, it was, <laughs> but it's a Rockies podcast. And from your perspective, what does this mean? Of course, it's not a good thing that you're going to be seeing a whole lot more of Shohei Otani. And you can absolutely expect that he's going to drive some daggers into the hearts of Rockies fans over the next 10 years. He is, as I said, did I make it clear earlier that I believe that he's a very good baseball player? There, there are some questions about his injury and how well he's going to be able to come back, particularly on the mound, and how much it's going to continue to be a good idea as he ages and if he has more injuries to play both sides of the ball, right? Particularly to continue to pitch. But even if he doesn't pitch, the guy's an incredible hitter, and I think he's going to continue to be at least for the next six, seven, eight years, if not all 10 of this contract. It wouldn't surprise me if you want. He's just a super athlete in addition to everything else that he is. And so, you know, the, the I think the injuries are probably the biggest question mark red flag for his potential to do damage here for a little while. As I tweeted out before uh, earlier, though, today, What's interesting to me in these situations is that the Dodgers are already a regular season juggernaut, right? You don't expect to beat them now. <laughs> you, even when the Rockies were good, they struggled to beat the Dodgers, right? Everybody does. You could pencil them in for roughly 100 wins every year since they've been under current ownership, essentially. Now, they've had their troubles in, in the postseason, and for you know some of us, that's kind of funny. Uh, they've only managed to win the World Series in that shortened year. Other than that, they don't have one in modern times. But still, they're a regular season juggernaut, and that's just been the case for a long, long time. So that hasn't changed. They're just more of a juggernaut now, right? A couple of things to keep in mind is that the interdivision games aren't as many as they used to be, right? It used to be 19, now it's 13. And baseball is moving, I think, further and further away from that. I think for the best, I, I think that's a good thing. I've talked a lot about realignment, and I do think that expansion is coming. And maybe by the end of this contract, the Rockies aren't even in the same division with the Dodgers. As I've often said, they the division they're in doesn't make any sense. They should never have been in a division with all the California teams, though, at this particular moment, that ship has sailed. That said, yes, the Dodgers are even more of a juggernaut. Yes, they're going to be even more difficult to beat in the regular season. Yes, I think he's going to absolutely rake at Coors Field. I think it will be interesting for, you know, science and analytics and data and all of that to see how he pitches at Coors Field if he gets to stack up a decent number of those. One of the things I've tried to do to learn about this place over the years is look at some of the best pitchers in baseball, you know, because people will tell you, and this may be true, the Rockies have never had an ace and never, never really, you know, outside of maybe one or two years of Ubaldo Jimenez and certainly never over the course of a long period of time. And so they need to somehow figure out a way to acquire a Clayton Kershaw or a Justin Verlander or a Shohei Otani caliber of pitcher, right? And I've often wondered, if they had one of those guys, would their numbers get deflated to the point where they weren't considered 
as good as those types of players. When you look at Clayton Kershaw's numbers, for example, or Madison Bumgarner's numbers, for example, at Coors Field, they're not very good. So I'll be very curious to see if Otani is one of those elite guys who can sort of buck that trend. Verlander is the one guy I mentioned, but he didn't have enough because he was never in division, right? So Verlander's numbers at Coors Field are really good, but I think in like two starts. So that could be kind of random, uh, right? Uh, There was another one, I think Chris Archer. I could be remembering that wrong. I wrote this article several years ago. Another time, another life, another place. Uh, But (laughs) I I need to revisit this particular topic and I'll be particularly interested to revisit it with Shohei Otani if he gets the opportunity to put up a decent number of innings at Coors Field. I'll be very curious to see how well he handles that. Okay, that's enough non-Rockies talk for this Rockies podcast. Uh, On a personal note. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I also said this on Twitter. I am very excited to see him take batting practice more often at Coors Field. He does put on a show. He really is a truly special talent in the game. And even though he's playing for a team that I imagine most of you listening to this absolutely hate and despise. It's pretty cool that he's going to be around and, and, you know, try to appreciate it when he's not destroying your team, I suppose. All right, let's talk about the Rockies news of the week. Uh, The draft lottery happened and how hilarious was this? I, I can't decide whether or not this is the most or least Rockies thing ever. I I feel like in a way the actual most Rockies thing ever would have been for them to end up with like the 12th pick in the draft, especially considering that there were so many teams who were falling uh, dramatically. Uh, You know, the Padres, uh, the Royals and the A's who were both, uh, you know, behind the Rockies in the rankings ahead of them in the reverse rankings, as it were, the only two teams in baseball that were worse than your Colorado Rockies this year, both ended up behind them in the draft if you were watching it live though there's also a way in which this unfolded where once those two teams had come off the board the a's and the royals and it was down to cleveland cincinnati and colorado three c teams that's kind of interesting um the rockies had by far the highest percentage chance of the teams left of getting that first overall pick right cincinnati had a a a remarkably slim chance and Cleveland was just a little bit higher than that who ended up with it. Right. But it it was wild how much Cincinnati jumped up. They had a winning record (laughs) this last year. They end up in the top three, but the Rockies end up with the third pick, which is exactly where they would have been under the old system. All these other teams jumping way up, jumping way back and creating all of this really interesting conversation about the pros and cons of the lottery have we properly disincentivized tanking? And, you know, it, it was really interesting. And I'm glad it played out that way to some extent because, you know, we're only a couple of years into this thing. And the first time around, very little changed. And to some extent, that, that's a little bit gratifying to see it not feel like it's totally random. But then it also makes you feel like, well, what was the point of going to the lottery if it's still going to reward people for coming in last, Right. The whole idea 
of moving to a lottery system is to disincentivize tanking. There are other reasons behind it, but that really is the primary one so that you don't just automatically get the first overall pick. And particularly Oakland, who just went through one of the more cynical professional sports seasons of my lifetime, certainly, you know, with their own fans protesting and, and pleading at their own games and them ripping the team away and all the things that have been said and done over there and they're, they're going to take it. And now it's just an absolute mess and barely even bothering to field a team and losing all those games. It would have felt kind of gross if they'd been rewarded with the first overall pick, which under the old system is what they would have gotten, right? So the fact that they end up, you know, with the fourth pick isn't like the biggest disincentive in the world, but it, it's some, it's, it's something. I, I feel like it's, it's better than nothing, especially because it does look like there are a handful of super, it's way early. So you never know. And I'm going to get it. I'm not going to get into this today. I'm going to have to dive into it in the future, but some of the draft prospects uh, this year, it does look like there might be a top three or four. So maybe they get one of those guys, but they don't get uh, the the one they want or maybe three emerge by then and you've really you know hurt yourself so I I have always been in favor of the lottery idea for a minute there it really did seem like the Rockies were gonna have their first bit of really good luck in a long time and get that number one overall pick and just have their choice of anyone available in the country but Instead, <laughs> it's like good, not great. It, it almost always seems to be a little bit in between. And that's, I think, what makes it feel sort of like the most Rockies thing, as it were. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And then, finally, wanted to touch on the two players that they picked up in the Rule 5 draft. Both pitchers, again, I really like Bill Schmidt's hyper-focus on the pitching right now and in going several different directions with it, right? Whether you're talking about acquiring Cal Quantrill, or now you've got these two guys that I specifically want to talk about, Anthony Molina and Brendan Hardy. Anthony Molina is brought on to the 40-man roster. They uh, took off Connor Siebold in order to make room for him. You never know. You could see Siebold back on a minor league contract with an invite to camp if nobody else out there wants to give him a major league roster spot, and they may not want to. He didn't have the best of seasons last year, but you saw some flashes. So if he's a guy you kind of liked or, th or thought had the potential to develop, at least as a long reliever, I could see some potential there. But you could see him back in camp. Still, I think that's absolutely the correct move when you take a look at the profile of Anthony Molina. On some levels, uh, the ERA numbers these last few seasons may not really blow you away. Uh, you know, he was putting up a 437 at the AAA. You're know, like, that's not particularly great uh, for Tampa. But he, and, and even in AA before that, was it was at a 461. 
And so like, well, why if he was pitching at a 461 ERA in double A, did Tampa move him up to triple A? Well, first of all, his peripherals are really, really good and really, really consistent. I, I, maybe I shouldn't even say really, really good. What I like about them is that the walks are so low. He doesn't have huge strikeout numbers, but he's got decent strikeout numbers of seven and up or eight and up. Earlier in the minors, he did have double digits, but he hasn't really done that. So, you know, in A, double A, and triple A ball, you're looking at seven, 706, 808. But the walk totals at 183, 721, and 791. He's never had a walk rate of more than three per nine. That's really, really good command. That's good control. I know there are a lot of people who believe, you know, at, at Coors Field, you just have to strike out everybody. You're never going to get someone who's going to strike out all 27 guys. Uh, Kyle Friedland and Aaron Cook have shown over the years that you can find some success uh, being a guy who finds a little bit more contact. But the other really interesting thing about Anthony Molina is that he's 21 years old, right? So there's still a lot of projectability, a lot of potential here uh, for a guy who's already reached AAA on the scouting reports that Fangraphs has. And we've talked before about how conservative these tend to be. They see him with a 55 changeup, so an above average changeup, with the possibility to get better there and a league average fastball at 50 with the possibility to, to get better there as well with a decent slider down there an okay slider 35 with possibility uh, to bring that up to a 40. So with this guy, you know, you're probably not looking at your future, you know, Cy Young candidate here, but definitely somebody who's proven success at the, the minor league level at a very early age, an ability to throw a decent number of innings. He threw over uh, 100 innings this last season in uh, over those two levels, AA and AAA, and a, a certain amount of consistency and level-headedness. And so you see what you can maybe do with this guy. Uh, he's definitely, I think, got more promising uh, numbers and just a general profile right now, certainly than Connor Siebel, than a lot of guys in their system. And I think it's a good type of player to add to your roster to compete for a spot out of spring training, especially if he can be one of those guys who really starts to bloom at age 22, 23, which is typically what you'd expect. And for some comparison, this other guy we're going to talk about, Brendan Hardy, the guy they took in the minor league, part of the Rule 5 draft, so they didn't need to give him a 40-man roster spot. His name Brendan Hardy. And his numbers can be a lot more exciting, right? He's got big strikeout numbers throughout the minor leagues. Uh, in 2022, at high A, he was striking out 12.63 batters per nine innings, over 20 innings pitched, but he was also walking 7.4. That's way too high but still had the ERA down at 348. His ERAs have been low. Uh, this last year in 2023 at high A, 22 innings pitched, a 12.9 strikeouts per nine rate, absolutely fantastic, but four walks per nine high, not absolutely killing you, though at Coors Field, that's really tough to deal with. There's a lot of research out there that shows that the worst thing you can do as a Rockies pitcher is give away free passes. Yes, contact hurts you, but... You know, you still have an opportunity there with your defense, with any number of things, with the possibility that contact turns into a double play. There's no way 
to stop the guy from advancing 90 feet when you walk him, right? And and when you give away free passes and then that one mistake pitch goes over the wall, it's that much worse. So the, the free passes you worry about a little bit. He got bumped up to double A at the end of the year this last year and pitched only eight innings. Uh, but again, 16.2 strikeouts per nine, one walk per nine. So uh, again, big strikeout numbers. He's never had a high ERA throughout the minors, 108, 348, 208, 161, 216. Uh, but he also hasn't pitched a ton of innings yet. So you've got this sort of big strikeout guy, and he's 23 years old. So that, that brings us full circle on those types of conversations, right, where those numbers are great, but at 23 years old, he's excelling at a lower level of the minors against uh, competition that he's probably a little bit older than, whereas Anthony Molina isn't getting the big strikeout numbers and isn't maybe blowing you away with some of the resume, but he's advanced to a higher level of the minors at a younger age. So they're just kind of two different types of guys. You throw them into the mix along with presumably more of this type of acquisition. Uh, the fact that they're younger players is even better, uh, I, I think, in general, because, as I was saying earlier, guys can bloom, guys can grow. You never know exactly how a human being is going to become, especially because pitching is so mental and so much of success can end up coming down to pitch selection and working through at bats and things like that. Guys who don't have the best stuff in the world, but who have an advanced feel for pitching can carve out pretty nice careers as four or five starters. And every team needs those. And the Rockies desperately need those. I mean, if for no other reason, ask yourself this, when you were, if you watched this last season and, and, <laughs> and Godspeed to you, uh, you know, when Jose Urania or Denelson Lamette we're taking the mound. It's just like, you don't want to watch that. Like, it was just brutal, right? And because those guys were in their mid to late 20s now, and they had at one point had prospect shine with their previous teams, but it kind of come off. And I understood both guys' potential reclamation projects. And actually, I'd be fine with the Rockies taking some flyers on some similar of those types, right? The reclamation project. Uh, Cal Quantrill is not quite the same. He is a bit of a reclamation project, but he's got a lot more on his resume of actually being consistently good than either Urania or Lamette had. Those guys had struggled mightily at the big league level. Their, you know, pedigree had come from the minors. Quantrill has proven big league success. These two guys don't have that, but they're 21 and 23 as opposed to 27 like Urania and Lamette. So... I, prefer, I like these acquisitions better for the Rockies. I think, you know, the more of these, the merrier, but they're harder to find out of these types of situations and potentially trades. What's likely to be available to them from here on is more of uh, the veteran type of guy. Again, unless they're willing to make a trade for some prospect pitching, which would be really, really interesting. And again, something I think that they should do uh, with some of the position players that have. But I talked about that on the last podcast. So I'll wrap this one up here. I do have a few more questions from some of you out there, but I think I will throw that out again and do a 
Q&A mailbag to kind of wrap up uh, the winter meetings and the week that was and give it a couple of days and see if there are some moves that start to fall now that Shohei Otani has set. I don't even know that that's true. It used to be the case, the first most expensive guy who goes sets the market. But I don't even, again, back to the very original point, I don't think that that's true. There, you can't, There's just no comparison to this thing. The guy is in a on a planet of his own. And that contract is on a planet of its own. And so now all of the just normal stuff can happen from here on out. And so we'll talk about that in a couple of days. I appreciate you listening into this episode. I hope you will continue to be absolutely awesome out of there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.